Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Wiki Shuffle. My name is Jack. I'm joined by Chris. Hello. And Phil. Hello. And we'll be delving into the world of Wikipedia once again to bring you some tasty fact nuggets. 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 And not uh, having that be our catchphrase. <laughs> not having it. My foot is down. Nuggets. What the listeners aren't going to be aware of in the an idiosync- idiosyncrasy of the town we live in is that nuggets has a whole different slang meaning, mm. where a nugget is a pound coin, and that doesn't exist anywhere else in the country. Didn't oh, it? I don't know that actually. I I know of nuggets being said when it's cold outside. I know that that's one. different. No, oh, that's different. But referring to pound coins as nuggets, I've never seen that outside of. I've never seen. I've never seen that full stop. Let's forget that bit. There. <laughs> um, so we do have a bit of business to attend to before we press the wiki shuffle button. Um, last week was the seventh of July, um, which was actually the tenth anniversary of the July seventh bombings in London. And funnily enough, the week before, not that funny, but the week before, um, we'd actually recorded a segment or a wiki shuffle that um, was, that had a July the 7th reference slang reference. It wasn't Um, like, it wasn't like directly related, but you could make connected dots. Well, it was, there there was some quite direct. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was, it was quite direct. So, so yeah, we made the the very adult decision to... um, to not get as a front page on on the sun, disgraced podcast scum. Yeah, you know that sort of thing. We don't want to be called that. No, we want to be called podcast heroes. Podcast heroes, sexy voices. Yep. Yeah, well, just me, really. But yeah. Okay. So yeah, uh, that's coming up. Um, also, I think we've recorded that at the end of quite a long podcast recording session. So if we seem a little bit delirious, that's why. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> In other news, we, as we mentioned last week, we are involved in the UK Podcast Awards. You can vote for us to get one of these prestigious awards um, on the ukpodcasters.com forward slash directory and do a little search for Wikishuffle on there. Or you can go to our Twitter where we've mentioned it recently, So, and we probably will keep hawking it because we want one of these awards. So you can vote for us or nominate us, um, and that takes less than two minutes. It's, it's really simple to do. And it would mean a great deal to us to get some recognition for this because it's fucking exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> and just the love of doing it isn't oh, enough yeah, the to love drag of doing us it as well. through. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, um, no, we would love to get out to a wider audience and this is a realistic way where we might be able to make that happen. So if you could help, it would be very much appreciated. Yeah. So on with the show.
Oh, good. I like, like, nice, easy-to-pronounce words. The Lant Trio. L-A-N-D-T. Do you reckon the T's silent or the D's Mm. silent or... Lant. Yeah, Lant. The Lant Trio. The Lant Trio was one of the busiest singing groups in early radio. In 1928, the three brothers, Carl, Jack and Dan Lant with their accompanist Howard White, were signed on to the NBC Blue Network as sustaining artists and began a career of more than 20 years. They performed primarily on radio, but also performed in vaudeville, including some headline runs at the Palace and Carnegie Hall, and made many personal appearances. They were unusual in the music world in that they did not read music, so they sang and played by ear. Oh. That's a talent. So, and there's a, a black and white picture of the Lant Trio, um, looking like all men did in that <laughs> period of history, because everyone wore exactly the same uniform of suit and tie and, and brill cream, brill creamed hair. <laughs> and there they are around a, a CBS microphone. There. Um, I wonder how much money the top radio singer of today makes. When you say radio singer, like it's CBS, it, it, so it, what is it? There, do they do like, their jingles? What, what do they, they just do? sing? Yeah, they just provide filler. Um, uh-huh. You want the song? We're not going to put the CD in and press play. These twats are going to sing it. Oh, okay. They uh, early radio and TV, and I'm almost qualified to talk about this with um, with a, a degree of expertise because my um, my major project for my degree was on the crossover from vaudeville into early television ah (laughs) Um, (laughs) early tv they didn't really know what to do with the format because it was so new um so all that they do is basically put these vaudeville acts and recreate them for the tv and radio and so they just they just plonk them there and they just do their bit yeah there's definitely nothing like that on mainstream british tv on itv these days is there (laughs) We're way past that. Yeah, unfortunately not. Um, Carl Benson, John Jack Matthias and Daniel Dan Beckworth were three of the five children of Matthias Cole Lant, a foreman in the Lackawanna Woolen Mills in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and Holder Teresa Amina Benson Lant, who had immigrated to the United States from Sweden with her parents at the age of two. There were also two da- there were also two daughters, Edith and Mildred. Um, they were a musical family. Matt sang and played guitar. Holder was a contralto. The, the parents sang with and to their children, and the children learnt to sing and harmonise together. Carl was said to be able to sing harmony before he could talk and became a boy soloist in the Lutheran Church Choir. Matt was enamoured by was enamoured of Thomas Edison's new phonographic technology and used wax cylinders to record his children singing. After leaving his job at the woolen mill, he sold Edison phonographs and was known as the Edison Man until radio displaced phonographs in most homes. You'd think that Edison would have been known as the Edison Man. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was too busy being a massive dick, wasn't he? Was he a dick? I think Edison was a dick. Yeah. Um, Singing families. Well, we've had a few, haven't we? We've had we've had, had a few now. Um, what happens if one of them is shit? Um, like like the Jacksons. Yeah. Uh, that he goes on to 
have alcoholism and dies oh. early on. <laughs> I don't know, was there one of them in the, in the Jacksons? Probably. I'm sure. Which one was there? Jermaine? He's a bit of a rubbish one. Who was the one that was on Big Rower? Jermaine. Yeah. <laughs> With a son called Your Majesty. Or a daughter that was called Your Majesty. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, it. Yeah, superb. After, yeah, I, there's nothing creepier than a singing family. It's, it's a bit weird. I find it a very strange thing. Like, if you said to me now that, oh, yeah, me and all my family, we were gonna, we were, like to travel in, in a band, I'd think. Even if you just crowd around the piano for a good sing song of an evening. Oh, that's creepy enough yeah. as it is. Well, <laughs> imagine you come around here a bit earlier than we expected to do the podcast. Juiced <laughs> on the piano with um, his girlfriend standing over at a sink doing a song and the dog. By the fire, <laughs> that would be awful. Mm. I think something was going on. Yeah. Um, I've got one word to to prove your theory that singing families are a bit creepy. Hansen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Bop indeed. Yeah. Puts... What are they up to? They're back. Are they back? I think they're back. Really? I think they've been back for a while, but nobody cares. <laughs> it's not really being back then, is it? No. no. They turned up, but yeah. Nobody. Nobody was that fast. As good as Umbop was. Was it? It was good. It's a terrible song. It's a great song. So. After Carl taught himself to play the ukulele, he and Jack began singing together as young teens for friends and family and eventually on the local Scranton radio stations. I I can't hear the word Scranton and think of anything other yeah, than yeah. The, office. the Office. I was thinking mm-hmm. that as well. Um, and because of the fact that The Office wasn't actually filmed in Scranton, it was filmed in Los Angeles. So the picture that I've got of what Scranton looks like <laughs> is nothing wrong. like <laughs> what Scranton looks like. That's still what I'm imagining. Um, is a, a studio. What state lot. was it in? Um, is, it in is it in? Uh, Pennsylvania. Older brother Dan had joined the US Army at the age of 16 and served in the Pancho Villa expedition under General Blackjack Pershing and then in Germany in World War One. While in Europe, he sang in a quartet with Eddie McManus. I say that as if that's somebody that anyone might recognise. He doesn't have a link. There's nothing to substantiate no. that at How all. I do not know Eddie McManus. And the McManus singing clan <laughs> no I love those guys after the war Dan returned to Scranton looking for work he found the family in difficult financial circumstances since his father had been reduced to selling cookware door to door sister Mildred was working for a pittance as a secretary at the A&P 20 year old Carl was out of work and Jack was still in school at age 16 Dan joined his younger brothers in their singing act and introduced them to a friend, Howard White, who owned and ran a bakery. White had learned to play piano from a self-taught black pianist who only played on the black keys, known <laughs> what? <laughs> known as Howard Velvet Fingers White. What? What? So he, he only played the, the black key. I don't his know name how piano was works, ha- but in solidarity Howard could play only by ear and was the perfect match for the trio who sang only by ear meanwhile Eddie McManus who was a friend of Howard as well as Dan had become a vaudeville performer and encouraged the group to take their act to New York because they had no money Carl borrowed $300 from his Sunday school teacher and they sat off and they set off to try and make it in vaudeville hmm I've got nothing to add but good on them yeah 
Um, I'm ex- I expect that they succeed because they have a Wikipedia article. Well, yes, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. During their first few weeks of auditioning and singing at parties in New York, the group found themselves receiving a great deal of encouragement, but no firm job offers. A large part of their appeal seemed to be their youthful small-town innocence and the way their pleasing <laughs> harmonies blended with the velvety sounds of White's piano. After five weeks, an NBC talent scout overheard them and sent them to audition with Tim Sullivan of NBC Artist Services, calling themselves the Lant Trio and White. They were signed to a contract as sustaining artists for the NBC Blue Network, which sounds like a late night offering. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's it's 12 o'clock, time for NBC Blue. That brings a whole new meaning to the nickname Velvety Fingers. (laughs) (laughs) You only get to watch the first five minutes of that now. <laughs> Howard White. Does that still exist? The the five minute preview. I don't know. I don't know if the like previews still exist, but the channels are still there. That's why? Weird. I know. It's the internet. Exactly. You've got the internet, surely. When I remember when I was like thirteen or something. Yeah, probably around that age. Um, you would stay up to ten, and the five minute previews were rubbish. Thinking about it now. Yeah, but it was enough at that at that age. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you needed. What oh, you needed. getting more insight than I want. Uh, uh. <laughs> Howard White's friend Kenny Rort, who had worked in Howard's bake shop in Scranton, had a talent for words and a great sense of humour. He joined the group in New York and became their writer. He later married their sister Mildred. The trio moved their parents and sister to New York, and soon older sister Edith and her husband followed to be near them. The family remained very close, living either in the same house or within a few blocks of each other throughout most of their career. The family's closeness was reflected in the style of their performance, which was always family-friendly and had a certain wholesomeness that was appealing to much of their audience. As sustaining artists, the Lant Trio and White appeared on many variety programmes on the National Broadcasting Company, which had been formed in 1926. When the network expanded its programming to earlier morning hours in November 1928, the trio was tapped for their own first series, On the 815. This programme skyrocketed in popularity as a cheerful way to prepare workers for their morning commute. Its format, Sounds per- awful. <laughs> <laughs> its format, performing a mix of popular standards and novelty tunes with humorous repartee, became a pattern for many of their later shows. They became one of the busiest acts on radio at this time, with programmes or appearances throughout the broadcast day. Some of their sponsors were Mobilio... Oh. (laughs) Mobile... Mobile Oil. (laughs) Did you try and put that into one word? I thought it was... Mobilio Oil. I thought it was something Italian. (laughs) (laughs) We've broken. him. (laughs) Yeah. Ever ready, Erector Toys. Don't laugh, Chris. Gilbert I've laughed at too many immature <laughs> words. Gilbert Toys, Breyer's Ice Cream, Spang Break Baking Company, Dill's Best with Pick and Pat. Oh come on. <laughs> Amiga Oil, Ford, D and H Coal, and Lucky Strike. A mixed bag. Wow. wow. Their career was going full force between 1930 and 1936, with many daytime and primetime broadcasts, until January 1937, when Howard White died suddenly of a heart attack. Why did you have to ruin everything, Howard? (laughs) Your velvety fingers. damn it, velvety. (laughs) 
Howard White's demise was personally painful, but also a near catastrophe professionally for the Lant Trio. Carl was the only one who had learned to read any music, and all their arrangements had been written in a shorthand they developed for their own use. <laughs> Through this transition, they were rapidly losing sponsored programming, and within a year, they had no radio work in New York. However, in the mid-30s, the Lant Trio had begin to, begun to do advertising work for George Nelson of the Leighton and Nelson Advertising Agency. Nelson offered them work on radio in Schenectady, New York, and opportunity to barnstorm in the area. Barnstorm. That's not a word I get to use very often. Mm. They saw this offer as a chance to rebuild their act and their reputation. They had begun to work with a young, talented accompanist and arranger, Curly Mare... <laughs> so the four of them agreed to move to Schenectady. In the fall of 1938, the Lant Trio began performing on WGY and performed under the name the Lant Trio and Mare. They spent the next two years working in Schenectady where they learnt both new material and new arrangements of songs they had performed with Howard White. Two of their shows during this period were Vest Pocket Varieties and Morning Matinee. They also did commercial work for Mohawk Carpets, Pepsi Cola, Seal Test and Camel Cigarettes. They participated briefly in experimental programming being done there in the new medium of television. They never developed a strong fan base in Schenectady, however, and in early 1940 they returned to New York where they supported themselves through their publishing company, Coast to Coast Music, and by singing jingles. In 1940, President Roosevelt instituted a one-year peacetime draft. Early in 1941, the Coast to Coast Music Corporation published a song by Mac Kay, Goodbye Dear, I'll Be Back in a Year, Because I'm in the Army Now. The song... <laughs> oh, one of them's going to die in the war, aren't they? Something's coming up. Because yeah. we haven't done anything on here where it's not been like, oh, they sound like a lovely bunch. One of them's done something, something's going to come out. Goodbye, dear. I'll be back in a year because I'm in the army now. <laughs> We're here about your husband, Mr. Lant. <laughs> Goodbye, dear. I'll be back in a year because I'm in the army now. They took my number out of a hat and there's nothing the guy can do about that. But when I get back, I'll be all tan and brown. She was dressed in blue, then I heard him whisper, Darling, I love you. And though I didn't mean to listen to a word, this is what I overheard. The song rapidly rose on the charts, its popularity enhanced by a soundy, a short film featuring the Lant Trio. However, in August 1941, the draft was extended, causing a widespread protest amongst the 12-month draftees. Floods of sheet music were returned, and the soundy became a sad reminder of more optimistic days. Mm. Suddenly they're mocking them, back in a year, my ass. Yeah. <laughs> back in a year, in a box. Oh, that's a bit much. <laughs> Sorry. In People October... died, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> in 
In October 1941, the Columbia Broadcasting System hired the Lant Trio for a five-day-a-week programme, Sing Along with the Lant Trio. They yep. received a great deal of fan mail, welcoming them back to the air after their hiatus, and their career began to rise again. Sing Along with the Lant Trio continued until 1948, when Dan had a heart attack. Oh, God. He was able to come back to work, and the trio continued, but it became harder and harder for them to work as television became the permanent medium. In 1951, Jack had a serious automobile accident that kept him from performing for over six months that, efficient, that effectively ended the Lant Trio's singing career. When he was able to work again, Jack went on to own and operate a business on Long Island, Dan worked successfully in real estate in Westchester County, New York, and became a town assessor. Carl wrote and performed jingles for several years and then developed a new career as a life insurance underwriter. Hmm. Hmm. What a boring bunch. (laughs) (laughs) An inauspicious ending there, but everyone gets their 15 minutes. Yeah. Well, they had a good 20 year career there. Fair play for doing something. Only a couple of heart attacks, car crash. It did seem a little bit cursed. Uh, are they all... I'm imagining they're all dead now. Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah, Carl died in 1997. Um, he was 91 at the time, so he was the longest mm. living. Jack died in 1959. He was only 48 when he died. And Dan died in 1961. Um, although, according to this, he was born in 1996. I don't think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might have been born in 1896. <laughs> Samantha Luthwaite. I don't know who that is. Samantha Louise Luthwaite, born 5th of December 1983, also known as Sheriffia Luthwaite, or more commonly, and some of the penny might drop here, the White Widow, is a British woman who is one of the Western world's most wanted terrorism suspects. Oh, I know. She was the widow of 7-7 London terrorist bomber Jermaine Lindsay. Right, for starters, we're not calling it 7-7 Wikipedia. It's not called 7-7. They're the July 7th bombings. I'm not having that. I'm with you. Just because it sounds nice. It looks nice as well. It does look pretty nice. Looks like but it's, it's not a nice thing. So <laughs> well, it, it looks a little nice. bit as though it's received top marks. <laughs> oh, I really like this bombing. I give it seven out of seven. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do remember this woman. Luth- not very nice. Not very nice. Um, and it's quite a lengthy article, I think. I don't know much about it. Luthwaite was an alleged member of the Somalia-based radical Islamic militant group Al-Shabaab. She was accused of orchestrating grenade attacks at non-Muslim places of worship and is believed to have been behind an attack on those watching football in a bar in Mombasa during Euro 2012. In September 2013, there was speculation over her possible involvement in the Westgate shopping mall attack, although other reports cast doubt on this. She was dubbed the White Widow by the news media, a play on words referencing her race, the death of her first husband, and the practice of referring to Chechen female suicide bombers as Black Widows. I'm interested to read on because she was certainly painted 
as a figure of hate on the front cover of the tabloid newspapers in the UK, which mm-hmm. straight away makes me, because of my gut reaction to those outlets, wants to rush to her defence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that would be wise. Though. I, I get the feeling that there might be some justification here, but generally speaking, mm. um, if if the tabloids are out to get you, then I want to take your side yeah, a little bit. Sense. And that mm. does include some sort of clerics that are particularly hounded for for no good reason other than apparently being muslim but i suspect that this woman may have um a few more yeah, negative things going on here i think there's cause for us to be a bit angry at this woman um, yeah. so let's find out what she's been up to um and she's only 31 so she's younger than i'd probably realized um you're gonna ask her out on the date or something that's not where i was going with that just saying that Chris. <laughs> just saying that Chris certainly will not be asking her out on a date. <laughs> Twenty years too young. Leithwaite was born to parents Andrew and Elizabeth Christine Leithwaite in Bambridge in 1983. Her father is a former British Army soldier who served in the 9th and 12th Royal Lancers, and had met her mother while she was stationed while he was stationed in Northern Ireland in the 1970s. Following her birth, the family lived for a short period in Northern Ireland, where her father worked as a lorry driver before moving permanently to the British mainland, settling in Aylesbury in. England. Laithwaite's parents separated in 1994 and friends later reported that she was badly affected by the breakup and sought solace from Muslim neighbours who she believed held a stronger family network. It's always the parents divorcing, isn't it? That's where it all begins. Ah, uh, that's what went wrong with Mr. Snuffleupagus. It is, yeah. It's <laughs> what went wrong with me and it's what went wrong with the White Widow. Uh, That's a comparison the world never expected to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I think we'd make a good gang. Raised as a Christian, by the age of 17, she had converted to Islam. She adopted the Muslim name Sherafia at the time of her conversion. She arranged to meet Jermaine Lindsay at a Stop the War march in Hyde Park, London, and they subsequently married in Aylesbury in October 2002, using the Islamic names Asmantara and Jamal. An Islamic marriage ceremony was conducted for the couple, but the ceremony had no legal status because it was not conducted in a mosque or licensed place and they were never officially registered as husband and wife. Luthwaite's parents, who never came to terms with her daughter's conversion, refused to attend the ceremony. Sad. I mean, she hasn't done anything bad yet, so that's sad. July 7th bomb attacks. Three years later, at 8.50am on the 7th of July 2005, Lindsay blew himself up on a train travelling between King's Cross and Russell Square tube stations. He killed 26 civilians in his suicide attack. Luthwaite was eight months pregnant with their second child, a daughter, at the time of his death. Their first child, a son, was 14 months old. Luthwaite reported her husband missing six days after the bombing by telephoning a helpline set up for families of the victims. She denied prior knowledge of the attacks and said, I totally condemn and am horrified by the atrocities. I am the wife of Jermaine Lindsay and never predicted or imagined that he was involved in such horrific activities. He was a loving husband and father. I am trying to come to terms with the recent events. My whole world has fallen apart, and my thoughts are with the families of the victims of this incomprehensible devastation. 
She was placed in a protective custody in a police station safe house after her home was firebombed in the immediate aftermath of the bombings. At the inquest into the bombings, it was disclosed that Luthwaite had associated with Mohammed Sadiq Khan, the ringleader of the London bombers, before the attacks. So at this point, she cuts rather a sympathetic figure, I think. She's... Mm -hmm. um, claiming that she had no knowledge of her husband's activities she's lost the the father of her children and yeah, had her life turned upside down she's yeah. getting you know attacked for seemingly no reason directly relating to her um but let's see if she can't turn turn that sympathy away um Newspaper controversy. In September 2005 Luthwaite was widely criticized for selling her story in which she portrayed herself as a victim and her husband as a relatively recent convert who had been tricked into his actions by extremists. To tabloid newspaper The Sun for £30,000. The Independent reported that Luthwaite's account conflicted with evidence from Lindsay's sister that he had actually converted to Islam aged 15 and said that families of the victims were unconvinced by her portrait of the bomber, while her attempts to share the blame with others obscured the murder of innocent commuters, the Yorkshire Post said, for very good and obvious reasons there is a law against any criminal profiting from his illegal activities by selling his story to a newspaper, and while the letter of the law has not been broken on this occasion, Ms Laithwaite is not a criminal, its spirit has certainly been breached. Post July 7th the Daily Telegraph reported in September 2013 that Luthwaite was subsequently believed to have met and married Habib Salel Ghani, who was born in Hounslow, London in 1985. Ghani, also known as Abu Usama al-Pakistani, first moved to Kenya in 2007, where his mother was born. His father emigrated to Britain from Pakistan. Ghani was a contemporary of Asif Muhammad Hanif at Hounslow Jamia Masjid and Islamic Centre. Hanif became, became Britain's first Islamic suicide bomber, killing himself and three others at a bar in Tel Aviv in 2003, after being recruited by Hamas in Damascus, Syria. You having fun, Chris? These are my favourite topics. You just lose all the will to live, don't you? They just no, I don't, and it's interesting because I don't know much about it, but they just drain me. Mm. And I, I don't, it's not that I think oh, I don't really want to talk about this because it's not funny or whatever. It's just. I've got. I don't have much to give on them, you know. It's so far detached from our pretty sweet middle class mm. suburban existence yeah, that we it, get to live in, um, and I'm very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. yeah, I could take more. You could take more middle class suburban <laughs> living. Yeah. You want to be a little bit more sheltered. Definitely, yeah. How much? What, more, what else would you like? Like, I don't know, a nicer car. <laughs> <laughs> you're right you, income, you're really putting this story into perspective for us uh, you know. <laughs> uh, Luthwaite gave birth to a third child in 2009 but the father was not named on the birth certificate she is reported to have moved to the north of England then later to have disappeared with her children and was, was believed to be in hiding in Tanzania or Somalia alleged links to Al-Shabaab in February 2012, anti-terrorist police in Nairobi, Kenya, issued an arrest warrant for a white woman using the name Natalie Webb, who was known to have used a fraudulently obtained South African passport. 
After liaising with Scotland Yard, they said that the woman was known to be using at least three separate identities, including that of Samantha Laithwaite, and was accompanied by three children. The police said, We believe she is not a small fish. She is among several Britons that our intelligence service is aware of in relation to terrorist plans to attack us. The woman has entered Kenya in November 2011 using the passport and then joined other members of the cell in Mombasa. The real Natalie Webb was discovered to be an English nurse living in the home counties who had been the victim of identity theft. Chris. Mm Mm-hmm. She's not very attractive, Samantha Luthwaite. Don't ask me the question. But. <laughs> Don't, you're not seriously going to ask me that question. <laughs> but if she was attractive and she came up to you in a club and you were about to go home with her and she just whispered in your ear, oh, by the way, mate, I'm a member of ISIS, what would you do? Well, what, what would I do? And I'll edit this bit out. I don't for a start I don't trust you so I'm very <laughs> very unlikely to trust a member of ISIS right? yeah, whispers, but... and especially one that whispers it in your ear like a supervillain. <laughs> that's like something that happens to James Bond okay she doesn't whisper and it also, she just says it but she's well, like I just want a bit well, of sex well she's the worst ISIS member that they have <laughs> pretty much goes up into Corby nightclubs and whispers it in people's ears Specifically, you're you're the target of choice. Dancing away to five Megamix. (laughs) And then some woman comes up to me and says, I'm with ISIS. (laughs) Well, first of all, I think it was some sort of prostitute service. (laughs) (laughs) It does sound that way. (laughs) But then when when she asked her for more details, like a card, do do ISIS have cards? The International Society of... Insertion and sex. <laughs> Again, it does sound like. So, yeah, but once I realised that it wasn't that ISIS, I just had to say, I, I, I decline. Okay. <laughs> you would decline. I'll go get a grab now. Okay. What would she be doing in. in like... Oh, it's a high yeah, okay. situation. Yep. But okay, you would decline. I would, de- I would decline politely. But she's if she's really foxy. Again, I wouldn't be able to get past that ISIS. Okay. Thing. <laughs> I just wondered. I think I'd struggle if I, <laughs> I, I can cast it much wider. If the person that I was theoretically escorting for a, a night of, if they expressed any strong religious belief at all, mm. that really? would be a bit of a deal breaker for me. Any at all? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah pretty well, much. If you, some, again, if she rested up and went, Jesus loves you. Well, what if they were a Quaker? If they're they were a Quaker, Quaker, they're all Quakers when they get back to mine. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say you could rock their world. Uh, mm. uh. Luthwaite's father said, I cannot believe she would be involved in something like this and, and be there with the children. We have not had any contact with her for some time. I haven't spoken to her for a long time. I don't know if she's in this country or where she is. She has a lot of friends up north, but she does not have much to do with us. I don't even know the name of her latest child. Alfred Muchua, the Kenyan government spokesperson and public communications secretary, said, We believe she is a collaborator with terrorists. Our understanding is she was working with people here at Al-Qaeda or Al-Shabaab. Al-Qaeda or Al-Shabaab people. She is a very big sympathiser with those people. She was not going to carry out an attack, but she helped to fundraise, helped in the acquisition of weapons, hiding people, transporting people, that kind of thing. Again, 
it all sounds a little bit hearsay at this point. Um, there's, it's true. There's not a great deal of, of hard evidence mm. that's being presented here. Um, you do feel like the story is a bit sexier because it's a white woman that they're talking about and rather given than... given a nickname as well. And they've they? given her a nickname and she's yeah, got I, this... I don't think this would have been reported on at all if she'd been just an Asian Muslim. Yeah. No. Because she hasn't actually done anything out of the norm for a terrorist or a terrorist sympathiser. Yeah, it's, it's all... It is this typical tabloid fodder, isn't it? She's been sexed up. Yeah. She's, and she's to the still point, a complete twat, don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah, she's associated with some unpleasant people, it would appear. But at the same time, it sounds like if she'd have stayed in the UK, her life wouldn't be very much fun. Um, and wanting to get away um, seems like a, a reasonable thing, if that's something she could do. I'm not condoning what she may have done, obviously, but there's little evidence so far of her really having done anything that bad. In December 2011, Kenya police raided a property in Mombasa and arrested Jermaine Grant, also known as Ali Mohammed Ibrahim, a 29-year-old British Muslim convert of Jamaican origin from Newham, London. Grant, who was using a forged Canadian passport in the name of Peter Joseph, was charged with possession of bomb-making materials and preparing to commit a felony. In January 2012, police raided the apartment where the woman known as Natalie Webb was staying, but she had already fled. The terror cell was believed to be planning attacks targeting hotels and tourists in Mombasa during Christmas 2011. When questioned by police, Grant identified the woman as the leader of the cell and confirmed that she was Samantha Luthwaite. Okay, that's something a little bit more solid and maybe I don't like the woman. Um... In October 2013, reports emerged concerning the content of a laptop and flash drive used by Luthwaite and subsequently recovered from Mombasa by Kenyan police. A Sky News investigation suggested she had used the computer to research information about bomb making as well as hair and beauty tips. Uh, <laughs> among the 2,000 files... Well, she had like two tabs. Uh, yeah, that's it. There's two folders on there. Work and play. <laughs> Among the 2,000 files on the hardware was a downloaded document titled The Muhadeen Explosives Handbook and Ode to Bin Laden, a poem allegedly written by Luthwaite, which pays tribute to the founder of Al-Qaeda, Osama Bin Laden. I would like to read that poem. If You're just not going to have a file called The Explosives Handbook. That's just stupid. Why haven't they disguised what would it? You, what would you call it? Top secret, do not open. Well, pretty much. Like, if you have... Like, back in the day when you'd have porn on a computer, you know, when it wasn't so readily available to stream... School you'd stuff. Put it, yeah, you put it in a folder called school stuff, and then, like, science, and then double science, and then in another folder that says, like, <laughs> project 2002, Sorry. and then another one that says term one, and then you'd have all the porn I, in that I, folder. I did, maybe I did, went somewhere completely different when you said science and double science. <laughs> <laughs> that was, like, your own little system. Yeah, bit of double science layer. It's just biology, mate, isn't it? It is. Girls allowed. Oh god! Do you have to say girls allowed every time <laughs> a name of a girls allowed song comes up? Probably. I think it. Okay, I've managed to find the ode to Bin Laden. Ooh, yay! Don't read it out. Read it out. What if someone and this will happen because it's the internet as well. Someone goes halfway through to this podcast and just hears. <laughs> 
<laughs> a white bearded man reading about this woman <laughs> and the ode to Bin Laden. Ode to Bin Laden. O Sheikh Osama, my father, my brother, my love for you is like no other. Oh, it's good, it rhymes. <laughs> o Sheikh Osama, now that you are gone, the Muslims must wake up and they must be strong. I know that you are in a better place, that Allah has bestowed upon you grace. Us, we are left to continue what you started, to seek the victory until we are martyred. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. We're rhyming started with martyred. We're going to do that. That last bit, I thought it, that last bit, I thought it was going to end on farted. It sounded a bit like a kid's poem. <laughs> it does sound a lot like a kid's poem. <laughs> to instill terror into kuffar until the world is governed by ilaha ilah. O Sheikh Osama, know this for true. My heart will not find peace until all Muslims do. Everything you have, you gave for Allah. No surrender will take us all far. I bit didn't like at the end of it. Not much of it works. It doesn't scan nicely. Um, your life an example of how we should be. O Muslims, listen to our beloved Sheikh's words. Can't carry on. It's just, it's just loads of makeup tips. After that point, it's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a turn. Um, yeah, it's obviously shite. <laughs> I thought it was quite good. Well done, Phil. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> just to clarify, I didn't write that. <laughs> That's what I'm worried about. If going in. somebody's just joining the middle of the podcast and, and thinks that go. I very good, very good. <laughs> no, lovely work, lovely work. Well read. Now. Fashion. <laughs> <laughs> On 4th of January 2012, Kenyan authorities issued an arrest warrant for Luthwaite to answer charges of possessing bomb-making material and conspiring to make an explosive device with the intent to harm others. The charges were not made public until May 2012 when Jacob Ondari, Kenya's Assistant Director of Public Prosecution, announced Samantha Luthwaite was charged in absentia and a warrant of arrest issued against her. Kenyan police revealed that when Grant was arrested in December 2011, the group was only days away from committing an attack. The target was either a hotel in Mombasa or a shopping mall in Nairobi. Grant was also alleged to have voluntarily given up the identity of Luthwaite, telling police officers, there is someone much bigger you really want. She is the financier. Mm. Which, in a way, is a better nickname than White Widow. The financier. Mm, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Missed the trick there, didn't you? <laughs> in July 2012, she was named as one of the suspects involved in a 24th of June 2012 grenade attack on the Jericho Bar in Mombasa. The attack took place during a Euro 2012 football match between England and Italy. Kenyan police said a woman matching Luthwaite's description was seen near the bar shortly before the attack in which three people were killed and 25 injured. Luthwaite's name was linked with the September 2013 attack claimed by Al-Shabaab on the Westgate shopping mall in Nairobi. Despite intense media speculation, these reports were viewed with caution by UK government officials and there was no confirmation of Luthwaite's involvement as an attacker, organiser or fundraiser. Al-Shabaab itself claimed no women played a role in the attack. In a Twitter post, the group said, We have an adequate number of young men who are fully committed and we do not employ our sisters in such military operations. They're dicks all the time, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> and Twitter, stop it. Stop letting people use your service for this kind of bullshit. 
On the 5th of October, Kenyan authorities named four people believed to have participated in the attack, all of whom they said were killed in the ensuing, ensuing standoff with the country's military forces. Rumoured death. In November, <laughs> in November 2014, the Russian news agency Regnum reported that Luthwaite had been killed by a Novo-Russia sniper in Donbass, where she had allegedly been fighting for the neo-Nazi Adar Battalion. Fox News stated her death has not yet been independently verified. Nor has Osama bin Laden's really, has it? Nor has anything Fox News has ever reported, <laughs> so... <laughs> Excellent point. On 13th of November 2014, the commander of the battalion reportedly rejected the reports as false. We don't have any white widows, and nor could we. The Russians are trying to drive a wedge between us and our British allies. Yeah, there's a there's a lack of hard evidence in there, um, and it's obviously wrapped up in a, a very media-friendly story. Um, but at the same time... It looks as though there's a bit of fire accompanying that smoke, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, how many marks out of ten are you going to give Samantha Luke Wait, seven out of seven. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, I can't throw that can I... mic across the room, Phil. Can I put that in? <laughs> That's awful. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> So that rounds off our regular scheduled show for today. Um, I just wanted to quickly draw your attention to a little thing that I found on the internet this week, which I think is in keeping with our theme. Um, Reddit user Yaff, uh, Y-A-P-H, good old Yaff, um, real name Romero Gomez, um, has a lot more tech savvy than we have here. And he has produced a very interesting chart, which is a list of the 30 most edited Wikipedia pages. Mm. As you're no doubt aware, um, Wikipedia is crowd-managed, and it means anybody can edit. And what that means um, is that a lot of the articles uh, generate an awful lot of feedback. (laughs) And what Yaf has done... And this was effective as of March this year, so it's a little bit um, out of date now, but not much. It's still practically up to date. A list of the 30 most edited Wikipedia pages. Um, So I think it's quite interesting to take Mm. a look at what's... I'm not kidding. I I had the exact link saved, ready to talk about on the podcast, and I completely forgot about it. So that's weird. I know, I can't find it now, so I don't think I saved it properly. Well, it's good, but I've got it open here. So what um, I'd like to do is see if you can have a guess at what might appear on this top 30. Okay, I I don't know. I've I've actually seen this link, and I've read read quite a lot of the... Not the articles, but I've I've read a lot of this, uh, this particular list, so... Having said that, I can't remember any of them. So I, I, I suppose I can guess. Like it's it's fresh to me because this was a It'll few be, weeks ago. The big ones, I imagine, will be this nine eleven. Barack Obama. Barack Obama. There's some on there that are yeah, just as you'd expect. No surprises. Yeah, there's lots of very big contention there, and you can see where everyone wants to get involved. There's some real left field ones in there. You think how is that significant enough to have got the number of thousands of edits? To get some context, the most edited on here has had. 46,000 edits. Wow. That's the number one. Um, and the bottom, the 30th on the list, has had just under 20,000 edits. So there's a big gap there, but obviously an awful lot of activity. Um, 
So let's have your guesses. I've got no idea. Mm. And I saw it. Um, uh, well, Barack Obama was put out there and he is on the list mm-hmm. um, with 24,000 edits. I, I would say that George W. Bush will be on there as well. And he is the number one by oh, really? a country mile, um, George W. Bush. Um, the article for Wikipedia itself comes in at number four. That's been edited 33,000 times. Um, then immediately beneath Wikipedia, we've got Michael Jackson. Um, mm. And then right next to Michael Jackson is Jesus. Ah. <laughs> Michael Jackson's stirred up slightly more controversy than Jesus. That's interesting. That's probably <laughs> about right, isn't it? <laughs> um, Bar- is there going to be some really weird ones in there, like a, a, a Game of Thrones episode or like a TV show or something? That's really uh, controversial. Well, you say that. For my money, the strangest one on the entire list is the list of Ben 10 aliens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with over 20,000 edits. It's a really controversial subject. And it, you need to make sure you've got that absolutely spot on. How many um, enemies does Ben 10 have? <laughs> they're not necessarily all enemies. Hmm. It's just alien. I've never seen Ben 10. Um, Sounds stupid. Yeah. Uh, list of programs broadcast by ABS CBN. Um, Barack Obama, we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. That was a funny way of pronouncing his name. Yeah, funny. <laughs> Except you've done that twice, actually. Yeah. Barack Obama. Um, is pretty much neck and neck with Adolf Hitler. Read into that what you will. Um, and just below the pair of them is Britney Spears. <laughs> then oh, that'd, what, be that'd be a pretty interesting yeah. watching. <laughs> Um, number two, we've not done number two. Uh, list of WWE personnel. Hey. Is that just you? <laughs> <laughs> no wonder that, because they fire people constantly. It's a constant stream of people walking out the door. But still, 41,000 edits. It can't justify that. Um, uh, the United I, bet that is a, I bet that has all the former um, wrestlers as well. So I bet it is pretty big, surely. But still, bigger than the entry on the United States. Which does encompass all of the WWE yeah, as the well. The thing you've got to remember is that wrestling fans are nuts. Mm, yeah. They're mm. completely I've obsessed. That. Yeah, we have no question about that. Um, the Beatles are in there. Mm. Um, the Undertaker has had 21,210 edits on his own. Wow. Mental. He's a dude, though. Um, Deaths in 2009, deaths in 2010, and deaths in 2013 and 2014 are all on there as separate entries. Obviously, no one of note died in 2011 or 12 because they're not on the list. Mm. Uh, Real Madrid, mm. Roger Federer. <laughs> There's really? nothing interesting to be said about Roger Federer, no, is there? He hits a ball really hard. Yeah, hey, he seems like a nice enough chap. I'm not having yeah. a go at Roger Federer. No, he's fine. But he's, there's nothing contentious about him. I wouldn't have thought so. It's a pretty straightforward story. I guess um, the Swiss have to do something, don't they? Yeah. He's the, Swiss, isn't he? Fine. I really like the Swiss. Uh, lots of good things about them, and their flag's a big plus. <laughs> hey. That's a good joke again. That's one I stole off Tim Vine. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> um, India, we've not mentioned. The United Kingdom, we get a mention in there. Um... The we're th- important. We're, important. we're still important and relevant. Yeah, not as much as the rest of us, though. M- more relevant than global warming. 
less relevant than the Nintendo Wii. <laughs> but, you know, figures. we'll take it. Um, more relevant than RuneScape. How is RuneScape in there? <laughs> Nerds, that's how. FC Barcelona and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Hmm. And I think that's mentioned just about all of them there, but it's quite an interesting list. It's mm. a good mix. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things in there. So there we are. Well done, and thank you to Yaf Ramiro Gomez for... Um, finding that out for us indeed and we're we're actually recording this a little bit in advance so um i'm hoping that reddit will still exist by the time this podcast comes out because mm. uh, they're kind of not on strike at the moment have you heard of not no. heard about this oh well, we'll... i don't involve myself with reddit because i find it all a bit frightening oh okay. it's understandable no, it's the best it's the best i've only just got my head around it yeah no that's great um i don't know what buzzfeed are gonna do today because they've Nothing. got no website to steal from <laughs> so yeah be interesting um things that 90s kids will remember probably yeah <laughs> again okay. which they, they just do all that from reddit anyway uh okay that's it um you know you know all the usual places to find us have we said them yet no we haven't okay um well you know them so bye <laughs> <laughs> no wait <laughs> wikishuffle.co.uk follow us on twitter at wikishufflepod for daily wiki shuffles as for well. daily wiki shuffles all the the ones that aren't interesting enough to get in the podcast we stick them on Twitter. Yep. And Phil makes them funny. I do my best with the material I'm given. It's generally just moths. It's, it's pretty much just it's moths. pretty much just yeah. moths, and there's, there's only a limited amount you can say about a moth. We've um, managed. I've had about six <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not doing any moths in the podcast again. We're just skipping through them. I make no promises. It depends if there's one that's really yeah, like If we've weird. run out of everything else, then we'll have to resort to moths. Mm. I mean, that one that looked like a cat, that was pretty cool enough moths let's yeah, come on <laughs> yeah. breeze past this we were almost out of this episode come on oh, it's really hot have we mentioned it's hot it's we're... so hot it's still hot I think we've recorded quite a few episodes in the same week so so people are going to be hearing us moaning about the heat quite a lot but it's still hot <laughs> yeah it's, it's England so we can't deal with it weeks, we don't know yeah in a, in a week or two when you're listening to this it could yeah. be fucking pissing it down and yeah. we'll be moaning about yeah. that as well yeah yeah well that's us Okay, um, the rest of the world, sorry about all your hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes. <laughs> we got a bit of rain and it's a bit hot. So, Okay, and you can catch more of us uh, this coming Friday when we have another bonus episode. So tune in then. Bye. 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 Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 